Each week we've kind of looked at these timely, timeless hopes and help that the story uh, brings for us this Christmas story the way it promises us the goodness and the good news of God. And this morning, this Sunday before Christmas, this time which we traditionally in the church call Christmas Sunday, uh, we arrive at what might be the climax or the height of the story. It's the most exciting time. We've been saying that our series, did I forget to dismiss the children too? There is a lot of things going on right now that I just have messed up on. I apologize. Hey, children, maybe I should just come with you guys too. Yeah. Do something funny to distract the awkwardness. Right? So our series, The Advent, man, I have never forgotten so many things in a worship gathering before. You'd think I didn't write the run sheet and look at it. Exploring the greatest story is what we've said our series is about. Right? It's exploring the greatest story ever told through refreshed eyes. A story that never grows old, right? This is a timeless story and a story that needs to be contagiously and virally told again and again and again. Now, I'm sure there's many of us that have uh, nativity scenes that we set up in our house and figurines. Kind of these recreations of that first Christmas. Now, Katie and I don't uh, set up a nativity scene, but um, I remember fondly the one that my mom had set up. And, and in my mind, it was the most real one, right? You know, there's always like that one that you're like, that is so like the real thing. Like we actually know. And so this thing was rustic and it was wood. And, and it had actual like straw and like peat moss or something growing on the bottom. Maybe that was just because it was so old. And, and like, there was, you know, just this rustic feel to it. And, and the figurines were so vintage and classic. They were kind of like this Victorian, you know, and they were even dark-skinned, you know what I mean? It was like, it was so real. There's this angel, like, floating above. And, and there's fond memories every year in my mind of when mom would bring up the boxes, right? Like, there's the porcelain tree. We got excited about that, making sure it lights up. And then there's the nativity scene. And it always found its way center in our living room. Now, maybe you have a nostalgic feeling about your nativity scene too, this age-old tradition in which you unpack every year. Now, some other people don't really enjoy that kind of vintage thing, and so they've kind of recreated the Advent season. You can go into stores, and you can buy a whole bunch of new ones. In fact, there's even the hipster version. Have you seen that? Right? It's like people taking selfies with baby Jesus. It's kind of a, a joke. But, like, there's this, all these new versions of the nativity scene. Like, you can get the faceless, like, precious moments dolls and stuff like that. And so for many of us, why some of us lean to nostalgia, some of us break out these nativity scenes that are kind of new and reimagined and revisioned. It's hip. It's a new approach to the story. It's a bunch of people in the manger wearing buffalo plaid. Right? For some reason... There's some of us that think we need to recreate the story every year, and, and it, we need to kind of pack or, or almost make these humanistic and moral truths from the story of hope and peace, love, and joy. Now, I think often we approach the Christmas story like one of these two ways. Like, it's this traditional thing that happened in the past that we break out of the box once a year and we get really excited about. Or it's this thing that we break out and we're like, oh man, we totally need to reinvent it this year and do something new with it. Through this series, it's been our intent to read the story simply for what it is. 
It's a story, and it's strange. It's okay that it's strange. It doesn't need reimagined, because it's imaginative enough. Would any of you actually have written a story like this if you were God, right? I mean, this is a pretty imaginative story. It's a story that continues to be written. It's not just something that's from the past. It doesn't need to be repackaged. Rather, our eyes need to be refreshed in our approach to it. Everywhere I go, it seems that Christmas litters the stores. It decorates our favorite restaurants. It's on the radios. I can't walk through Hershey Park or even Wise without hearing these songs that are proclaiming the birth of Jesus. It's almost like the world is a stage if Shakespeare was here, right? And we're all just actors in it. And the stage is set. The next act is about to go on. The stage is set for the story of Christmas. And I hope that we as Christians want to step up and be part of that viral telling of it. That we want to contagiously spread. Now, the first week we looked at Zachariah and Sarah, who found it favor in God's eyes. They were just ordinary people with some doubts, with some disgraces, disappointments. They had drama, afflictions. And God, in his favor, redeems that stuff and uses it to tell the greatest story, the story of God's favor. Then we saw an angel appear to Mary, bringing to this poor and young girl the announcement that the impossible was about to happen to her. And there we learn that God loves to do the impossible, to make the impossible possible in the lives of ordinary people so that he can write the story of possibilities through their lives. Last week we looked at Joseph. Looked at how really Joseph often gets overlooked in the Christmas story, but he's really this dude that is full of honor and, what it, and an understanding of what it means to be obedient and to live out the Scriptures. It's through him that we see that God declares the story means God with us. Now this morning as we continue this story, we're going to look at Luke 2, 8 through 20. And this morning we're going to see that this is a story that declares it is a story of wonder. It is in this greatest story ever told that we find this story, a story that will, I think, move us from want to wonder. And I think as we look at the shepherds and have the angelic kind of proclamation that happens to them, what we're going to see is that the shepherds model for us this great posture on what it means to be uh, followers of Jesus who engage the story of Christmas. And while most of us are familiar with it, I hope that the Christmas story is always full of wonder for us. Wonder is defined as being filled with admiration, amazement, awe, or marvel. The Christmas story is unique. It is peculiar. No other religion has a story like it. If you and I were given the responsibility by God to dictate the way that he would come to the earth, I doubt any of us would have chose the era of time or the way in which he did. It's almost too weird to be made up, and that leads, leads and leans on its credibility. This story should inspire wonder in us this morning as we read it. Let us be filled with admiration, with amazement, with awe, with marvel. Let us be arrested, as C.H. Dodd says, by the strangeness. Now, each week we've also looked at a Christmas commercial that's going viral. Now, if you don't know what the word viral means, it's a term used by many today to describe when something becomes so popular and it's spread by person by person, especially through the Internet. 
these commercials are often full of some type of truth because God's truth as the creator of the world, like he's embedded himself in creation. It shows up in the weirdest ways. But these kind of viral commercials also show what Christmas has become for many around us. While we know and recognize that Christmas is kind of this annual holiday celebrating the annual holiday of the birth of Jesus. And uh, for many of us in our culture, it's nothing more than this day in which we celebrate around the world, which we gather with family and friends, we give gifts to each other. It's a day of celebration and good cheer and making everything merry and bright. Yay, right? Like that's all it's come for many of us. This year, one of the most popular viral Christmas commercials is from Microsoft. And it, you might have seen it. It's on TV a lot. But Microsoft this year released something called an adaptive game controller. And what it is, is it allows people with physical and mental limitations to play video games. It allows them to engage a game, a story. And, and in this video, pay attention, there's this kid with limitations who's about to play this game. And, and he's about to beat it, right? I mean... And that's already like the plot line of every 80s TV show. Am I right, Larry? Like, there was always someone about to beat a video game. Uh, the Last Starfighter was probably the best movie of the 80s. But, and so there's this, this kid who's about to beat it, and this other kid just comes running out, proclaiming and heralding the good news. You know, he's got to do it. Pay attention to the passion in his voice. about an ordinary neighborhood full of ordinary people doing ordinary everyday activities. And suddenly there's this kid that just runs through the neighborhood. He's proclaiming and heralding like, hey, he's going to do it. This good news is going to happen. Something magnificent and huge is about to take place. And at the end of the commercial then, did you catch what it says? It says, when everybody plays, we all win. And then pop comes up the Microsoft logo. And instead of Microsoft under it, it says, give wonder. Give wonder. The Christmas story is a story of wonder. It's a story of angels proclaiming and heralding in an ordinary neighborhood with ordinary people performing ordinary everyday activities. They proclaim and herald that the very sun and the presence of God has come to ordinary people and that everybody gets to play in this new story that God will write. You and I celebrate Christmas, a holiday that has become defined by want 
more than anything else. You and I live in times that are, are both politically and, and uh, kind of financially difficult. It's those tough times that actually lead us in this season to want more. You and I aren't much different than the shepherds we're going to look at this morning. They were, two, they were just ordinary people in an ordinary neighborhood performing normal everyday activities. They were in tough times politically and financially. And they had deep needs and wants. However, what happens is, as the story of Christmas engages, they have this invitation to move from want to something. This morning, we look at the story of this announcement of God's salvation, this salvation that is, that is available to the ordinary, a salvation that declares when everybody gets to play, we all will give one morning, I invite you to turn your Bibles with me to Luke 2, 8 through 20. Pick up the story in the middle of drama, right? Like, Augustus has just become ruler, and, and in that, he's adopted, he's the adopted son of Julius the Caesar, right? Like, and he literally is this guy who has rose to power by killing off all of the other possible leaders. Like, he went to war to make sure that there were no other people that could claim the th throne. And then as he gets in, he declares that Rome is the ruler and the peacekeeper of the world. And, and, and to a degree, they were. Rome had like 15,000 miles of, of highway, which they called the Peace Road, ironically. And they used taxes to pay for guards along that road so that peace could be at the end of a sword in their minds. They, they tried to keep the empire in control. And in his control, Rome grows to be the empire we all know it to be. But interesting, Augustus isn't his real name. It's what the Senate conferred on him. Translated, it literally means the majesty or the majestic. And, and even more funny is, he declares that his adopted father, who's now dead, Julius Caesar, was part God, making him what? Son of God. He uses that language to declare who he is. He was worshipped. Songs declared his goodness. And poets would tell of his rise to fame. In this ancient world, there was no one more important than Caesar, but here in this little rural village that has turned into a ghetto because it's been ransacked time and time again, angels erupt into a heavenly proclamation to declare Christ is Lord. Now, censuses were popular in Rome. They happen about every 14 years. It's kind of the backdrop to what we're just about to read. So Joseph has to travel home. Mary's not truly with him yet. She didn't need to go with him. Most likely she did because... Uh, by all accounts, she's really pregnant. Now, this was a 90-mile journey. It's a long time to be traveled really, really pregnant, right? And, and even more funny about that, she did that not needing to. And, and even more so, Rome didn't care if you went back to your birth city. That was a Jewish tradition, so they could just keep an eye on the, tri the tribe. So, you know, Rome's like, hey, give me tax money so we can keep the peace road going. And Jews were like, and do that by going back to your birth city. And, and even more importantly, uh, it is important for you to notice, and I want you to hear it from me, because you're going to hear it from your friends who don't believe. Uh, this census that 
they are kind of returning to Jerusalem for does not show up in any history book. And it's created a lot of confusion for people. Right? Like, there's this record 10 years later of a census, but this one, this one does not show up in any of the historians, and it's provided a lot of trouble for Christians. Now, one of the interesting things is if you'd study the story of Rome, Augustus uh, most likely uh, elected, what is his name, Cornelius or whatever, right? Like this weird dude to be governor twice. So this is the first census under his first reign. And then there's another reign, which Josephus will talk about. So don't be confused when people are like, hey, man, that census doesn't even show up in history books because there are ways around it. About this passage, Daryl Brock writes, the birth of Jesus is a lesson in God's faithfulness. It reveals God's heart and character, for God identifies with the human race, and the birth reflects such identification. The most humble birth for the most exalted figure ever born shows the key values of life are found in life itself and not in the accruements that come with life. The note of humility surrounding this birth of Jesus issues a major challenge to our culture where braggadocio and self-promoting public relations are a way of life. Here that we'll see angels proclaim gospel, and the word that Luke uses is the same word that would have declared an edict from Caesar himself. Shepherds were in the fields near Bethlehem. They were taking turns watching their flock during the night. An angel from the Lord suddenly appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord filled the area with light, and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I have good news for you, a message that will fill everyone with joy. Now, for some reason in our Christmas plays, when we, when we dictate shepherds, we kind of view these hairy bearded dudes, right, wearing plaid, no, that wearing robes, and, and they're like kind of laying in the grass and chewing on cud and just kind of telling jokes like, Hey, did you see that they ate Joseph's rug last night? <laughs> right? Like, they're just like these kind of simpletons that, that sit around watching the stars while their sheep sleep. But there actually might be a lot more to the shepherd thing than we give credit for. In this time, in Bethlehem, shepherds of this area were known for doing one thing. Raising sheep for the temple. These were most likely temple sheep. Sheep raised for sacrifices. And shepherds were probably the most ordinary Joe that could be in this time. A lot of times there were people that couldn't hold jobs elsewhere. They were like the vagabonds or the vagrants. Sometimes they were people who had physical limitations or mental limitations. And they would be employed to watch these shepherds, these special flocks that were known not to produce lambs with much blemish. Because... In all honesty, in Jewish sacrifices, the most important thing was to present a lamb that was unblemished. Theologian William Barclay writes, It's lovely to think that the shepherds who looked after the temple lambs were the first to see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We already see that this Christmas story is a story of one. It's a story that says when everybody plays, even the ordinary Joes in the field, everybody wins. As it announces good news to ordinary people in an ordinary neighborhood doing ordinary things, some have pointed out 
that the shepherds uh, might have not only just been ordinary, but even despised. So shepherds who were probably overlooked by this emperor who saw himself as the son of God, probably even overlooked because of their strangeness and their smell by their fellow countrymen, are the first people in which Jesus uh, is declared to by the angelic hosts. It's to them, not even people like you and I, that angels announce a message that will bring joy. And listen to their, listen to their announcement. So today your Savior, Christ the Lord, was born in David's city. This is how you'll recognize him. You'll find an infant wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger, and suddenly a large army. Now, I'm reading out God's word this morning. You might say multitude, but it's a military word there. It's a large army of angels appearing with the angel. They were praising God by saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those who have good, every, yeah, peace on earth and have his good will. Right? Right away, we see that this proclamation is heralded from the angels that are running through the neighborhood to these ordinary people, kind of calm the fears, and then get to proclaim what God is doing. Now, I, I imagine the angel's song went something like, Joy to the world, all the boys and girls. Joy to the fishes in the deep, deep. Uh, not many Three Dog Night fans in here. Okay. So, the angels would have been enough for me. Like, if they show up proclaiming, and by the way, what do we often say that the angels are doing in this scene? They're not singing. Kind of messes up with our kind of pageants and, and Christmas nativity scenes. In fact, there's really hard to find places where angels sing. They are saying. They are proclaiming. They are confessing. There is no word there that implies that there is actually music from them. They are proclaiming a witness. And they tell them, don't just believe us. Don't just see our word for it. Go and see it for yourself. So singing, you ain't seen nothing yet, but baby, the shepherds take to the, to the road. And they're like, whoa, this is exciting. And they, and they start to pursue to see this king who has been born as a baby. Now, one of my favorite Hallmark movies of this year is called The Christmas Prince. Has anyone seen it? Come on, Sarah, you almost raised your hand, didn't you? Christmas Prince, come on, who's seen it? So in it is this, this girl, and she's grown up in royalty, and she decides that she wants to experience Christmas for herself. And you're all laughing because I watch Hallmark movies, but I look more manly in this plaid than some of you, so uh, you can talk to me later about that. Right, so she wants to experience Christmas as a regular Joe. So she steps out of her, her entourage, she runs away, and she begins to experience Christmas as a regular person. She falls in love with the guy, the rest is a Hallmark movie. But we love this idea that somebody of great prestige wants to be with common people. In fact, God doesn't just want to be with his common people. He wants to come in a really ordinary, messy way. You know, those of you who have kids know birth is beautiful, but it's also really ugly and messy. I regret watching it every time. I'm going to be honest, I almost go down every time. Right, this, though, is how God comes to us. And we don't talk about the messiness of it. Yeah, it's first you came to a baby. We get to, you know, have somebody hold a baby up here. Think about the messy process in which God's Son chose to come into the earth. That's how God came to us. 
And it was a time in which kings were traveling with prestige, with people who would blow trumpets before them, with music and with armies. They were worshipped, these kings, as gods and as God's sons. And all of a sudden, the creator of the world shows up in the messiest ways, in a place where there's no room for him, not even in people's hearts or their ends. And he shows up in this messy thing, and he's laid on a trough, a trough that was probably made out of a stone and kind of chiseled out. And then the first people on the scene are some smelly and strange individuals who just kind of bust in the room to wonder at him. In fact, it says that an army of angels are the ones that would announce this and lead the shepherds onward. Let us not lose sight of that. God had power and prestige, but he surrendered it for the ordinary. He made it so everyone could play in the story he was telling. Goes on, the angels left them and went back to heaven. The shepherds said to each other, right instantly, let's go to Bethlehem and see what the Lord has told us about. Then they went quickly. I mean, they got up and ran. Forget the sheep. They can stay here. Uh, and found Mary and Joseph with a baby who were lying in a manger. And when they saw the child, they reported what they had been told about him. And everyone who heard the shepherd's story was amazed. Now, think with me. Remember, this is a messy thing. So Mary has just given birth. She's probably laying in a pile of straw trying to sleep. She's washed out. She hasn't done her hair. She hasn't put makeup on. Those of you who are parents know what I'm talking about, right? And all of a sudden, Joseph's probably still trying to get some of that urine smell out. He's probably just trying to trough some of that out because that's what I'd be doing. Maybe he's outside chewing on a chop of a cigar and yelling, I'm a dad! Like, you know what I mean? And uh, all of a sudden... These strange, ordinary, and smelly dudes bust in the door. I'm sure they weren't like, just your local temple shepherds wondering if we can come in. Like, I'm sure they just ran in in great excitement. Joseph's probably on guard wondering what's happening. Mary's probably trying to, like, hide herself. I feel so fat right now, right? You know, it's a strange scene. It's after that point, everyone heard the story from the mouths of these smelly and strange people that have put them on guard. And their story led them to wonder. It was contagious. It was viral. They gave the gift of wonder. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and everyone who encounters these shepherds, it says they were amazed. They were moved to wonder by these people. And Mary treasured all these things in her heart. And always thought about them as the shepherds returned to their flock. They glorified and praised God for everything they had seen and heard. Everything happened the way the angels had told them it would. Now there's two things to take note here. First, Mary takes the things that the shepherds repeated to her and cherishes them in her heart. The original words we could even translate say, she preserved them or revisited them. Or she kept these things before her constantly. And, and equally, sometimes we forget this stuff, and we just move on to the message of the cross. And, and that's what we center all of our time on. But I think Mary sets this beautiful example for us, that the birth of Jesus is just as important as the death of Jesus, and that this part of the story needs to be cherished and kept before us. 
And secondly, as the shepherds encounter Jesus, pay attention to this, they see him even in baby form, right? Smelly, naked, saliva stuff, you know, uh, all over him. And it says they glorified and praised God as a result of seeing and hearing this. The word for glorified there can actually be translated extolled, which is like this highest form of worship. It can mean uh, this kind of proclamation that just erupts with great passion out of you. It also says that uh, they glorified him, and one of the ways that that can be also translated is that they make lustered. So think about this. This time of the year, we decorate our stages, our houses, our living rooms, our Christmas trees. Some of us, our cars. That's kind of weird, the reindeers. I hope none of you have that. Right? We love to make everything merry and bright. We love to make things lustered. That is the idea behind what the uh, shepherds are doing. They're making this thing in them, move them to worship, making everything merry and bright. God's Spirit was at work, and everyone who encountered it held these things in their heart. They were moved to wonder. We must allow the greatest story ever told to move us from a place of want in life to a place where we are captivated by want by God's actions, by His Spirit, by His Son. We must be captivated by the way that God writes this greatest story ever told, a story of salvation, a story that says, our Savior, name used for empires of the day, emperors of the day, Christ the Lord, contrasting to the political drama of their day, was born in the city of King David. It is here that the birth of Jesus, as we know it, brings goodwill and peace to mankind should they surrender their hearts to him. It's here that God's creation is offered a way to be reconciled to its creator. It is here that the story of Christmas inspires us to wonder and make sure that nobody is missing out on it. It is a story that declares salvation is available to all should they choose. A story that says we all get to win when that story of salvation gets played with by everyone. Now, there was a prophecy from hundreds of years before that this night, this proclamation of angels had fulfilled. In Micah 5, 2 through 7, this is what we see. You, Bethlehem, are too small to be included among Judea's cities. Yet you, Israel's future ruler, will come for me. His origins go back to the distant past, the days long ago. And that is why the Lord will abandon Israel until the time a mother has come, as, has a, until the time a mother has a child, and then the rest of the Lord's people return to the people of Israel. The child will become the shepherd of his flock. He will lead them with the strength of the Lord, with the majestic name of the Lord his God. They will live in safety because his greatness will reach the ends of the earth. This prophecy from generations before was held highly in this time. Mary, Joseph, the shepherds would have known it. And they watched it play out before them, and they were moved to wonder. There's shepherd imagery there. Like, the amazing parts of the fulfillment of this are, are just cool. It's to, to a mother has a child, right? To Mary comes along. It's, there's beautiful imagery there. About this passage, William Barclay says, There was a European monarch who worried his court by often disappearing and walking incognito around his people. And when he was asked not to do anything for security's sake, he answered, I cannot rule my people unless I know how they live. It is the great thought of the Christian faith that we have a God who knows the life we live 
because to lift and proclaim no special, he could lift it up and proclaim no special advantage over the common. The greatest story ever told includes a story of wonder what, that we could be continually amazed by what God has done. This morning, quickly, we're just going to go through three notes that are on the back of your bulletin that I think we can take away from this passage. Things that we can uh, let transform us, truths that can transform us as we engage this story. The greatest story is the story of Christmas, a story that moves us from want to wonder. The shepherds removed wonder as the glory of the Lord shined on them, as they heard there was good news for them, as the army began to proclaim praise to God, as the angels said, go see for yourself, and then they're moved to wonder as they see it for themselves and as it proves to be true. F.F. Bruce says, to a group of simple men, God's presence was manifested. Let our Christmas celebrations move us from want to wonder. Secondly, don't package this story as tradition. The transformative story of Christmas is not just for the past, but also the present. It says Mary kept these things in her heart and thought about them often. She kept them before us. Let this story continually to transform. Lastly, the shepherds model for us how to engage the story of Christmas. Watch for it. Walk it out. Worship fully. Be moved by wonder and witness to what you experience. Shepherds were watching their sheep, but the whole time they were also watching for signs of hope in their tough situation. I mean, the greatest thing they ever saw before this moment was like, one time a sheep pooped in Charlie's coffee by accident when they were sitting in the hill. And then they instantly see this magnificent thing happen before them, and they instantly walk it out. They are moved to worship, they are motivated by wonder, and then they witness to it. And those who see it are also moved to wonder. Does this story still move you to wonder? Are you able to witness this to people? Are they contagiously and virally seeing the gift of wonder on their lives? God is doing something today too. Watch for it. Walk it out. Worship fully in the moment. And be moved by wonder to what you experience. As I said earlier, we must allow the greatest story ever told to move us from a place of want in life to a place to which we are captivated by wonder. We must always be captivated by the way God wrote the greatest story ever told. Our Savior, it says, Christ the Lord, was born in a city of King David. Let our hearts never grow familiar with this story. It is through this birth of Jesus that we know the great news of God's goodwill and peace is available to mankind and that creation can be reconciled to its creator.